Are we up? Yeah, there we go. Thank you, Rose. Wonderful. Well, welcome to another in our series titled Spring into Action. This spring, we're endeavouring to live out that teaching of the Apostle Paul to be active in sharing our faith. This is uh, part seven of the series. But just before we dig into that message, why don't we find out about our coffee drinking friend and his mate, Bob. I'm waiting for Bob. It's Sunday. I'm going to church with him. Kind of nervous. I don't get nervous much, but then I haven't gone to church since I was a kid. Didn't care for it too much back then. But I'm willing to give it another chance. Because Bob likes it. I like Bob. We click. He's my bro. <laughs> but ever since he invited me, I said yes. Been acting kind of goofy. Like he won the lottery or something. I'm not sure what kind of church it is. Be one of those serious, somber kind like I went to when I was a kid. Or one of those happy kind like I see on TV with the fancy clothes and the big hair. Bought me a tie. Just in case. Bob said I, I didn't need to. Said people would take me just as I am. I'm not sure that's good enough. So I figure... I'll watch and see if Bob's wearing one. If he is, well, then, oh, here comes Bob. Well, just as I am, I guess. <laughs> Time to go to church. Uh, fine, fine. <laughs> We're going to find out. What happens with our coffee-drinking mate and his friend Bob next week? Right now, um, as you know, last week I was talking uh, about the topic of Matthew meals, the idea of when Matthew, uh, the apostle, came to faith in Jesus and decided to become one of his followers when he was called to be a follower. Matthew then thought he would throw a big party, invite a bunch of his new friends who were believers in Jesus and a bunch of his old friends who were not and mix them all together. Um, well, we were encouraging, of course, uh, our people last week to consider doing that. And so Roxanne has uh, got a great plan. Uh, so their small group will be doing exactly that. Tell us all about it. Thanks, Lee. So all credit actually should go to Roz because she kind of came up with the idea, but we're all happy to run with it. <laughs> so on Monday night, we have our small group that follows up on the Sunday sermon and we do it via Zoom, uh, which is good because I live up near Seymour, so it's a fair hike to come down, so I'm very appreciative of that. But um, we, before I got on, Roz and Benjamin were already on Zoom. I was running a little late, still doing the dishes. And they'd had a little chat because Benjamin is moving into a new house, finally, after a long journey of, of needing housing. And his new house is in Melton and he will move in in the next few weeks 
And Roz came up with this idea that perhaps we could do a Matthew meal and have a housewarming party for Benjamin at his new house. So Benjamin's smile, oh my gosh, it, it filled the screen. So Benjamin had said that he had wanted to invite people to his new house, but he had no idea how to, to navigate that or how to manage it. And so all of us on there were getting very excited. So just because of Christmas and everything coming up, we thought in the new year, in January, because we're not quite sure how many people will fit inside, we might need to use the backyard, we will have a housewarming party for Benjamin. So that will be our Matthew meal. So Benjamin will invite, um, particularly him, will invite some of his unchurched friends along to that um, but we will be there too as part of um, of that process so really excited and and Benjamin who can't be with us today is exceptionally excited about our our Matthew meal idea so yeah stay tuned thanks thanks Rox that's excellent yeah definitely give a round of applause fantastic so I was talking with um because our youth have been doing some stuff on outreach as well on Friday night um uh, one of the ladies, young ladies from the youth, uh, Kaylee, she um, came up and said two weeks before where we'd um, uh, shared a little bit about friends who are at school who don't yet know Jesus and so forth. She'd shared about one of her friends who believed that um, evolution proves God does not exist. And um, she prayed that she'd have an opportunity to talk with him. Uh, well, next the next week at school, she said over art, I think it was, um, it looks a fairly long class. They chatted approximately for two hours as they did their art about Jesus Christ and she said it was just a fantastic conversation but it's great to see her stepping out and doing that. Well, today my topic is power encounters, power encounters and we're going to learn from Philip all about this. Uh, he has a powerful approach actually to um, sharing the gospel, part seven in our series. Uh, let me explain a little bit about who Philip is, first of all, because uh, so it's not Philip the Apostle who was called by Jesus. This is, uh, he's first introduced to us in Acts chapter 6, and initially uh, his role was one of pastoral care. It, he was responsible for making sure the widows got uh, distribution of food. It was a big church and a lot of widows, and they used to help them out. He was initially in charge of that, but here we're going to pick up where he is uh, clearly also gifted in evangelism. Eight four of Acts, it says this, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Um, you notice here too, I mean, there's, there's dispensational theology teaches really the, those signs and wonders, gifts largely resided in the apostles. Well, of course, Philip here is not an apostle, um, and we see the miracles that he is working. Um, if a close look at church history, you'll actually see the miraculous is right throughout church history and certainly still happens today, and it can be a key. Peter's first, the first thing I learned rather from Philip is that his approach in sharing the gospel included what? Healing the sick. Number one, heal the sick. Heal the sick. And as I say that, I know some of you might be thinking, yeah, but, but Lee, we, we're talking about a 21st century church now. I mean, is this really relevant to today? You know, we don't see all that sort of miraculous stuff going on. And 
But, you know, um, actually we do far more, I think, than what we realise. You know, I hear about miracles in churches regularly, you know. It, it's, it's not uncommon at all. Actually, I have a, a member here, uh, two members here today, the Chan family here from my old church, and I reckon these guys would remember um, a new member at our last church called Waylon Jiang. Waylon had come to faith in Christ, a uh, young, young lady, and um, her story included the fact she came to believe because she was miraculously healed. So Waylon's mum and dad and she herself did not believe in Jesus. Uh, grandma got saved and um, they thought, oh, that's nice for you. Uh, just thought it was a little bit weird and, uh, you know, it didn't have any impact on them at all. Waylon developed a chronic condition where her shoulders were in terrible pain. So, of course, they did the normal thing. They tried medication, went to chiropractors. She had different forms of, you know, uh, of attention, but no specialist seemed to be able to do anything for her. The pain was getting worse. She had major exams coming up and just to write with a pen caused excruciating pain through her shoulders. Well, mum and dad were getting desperate, so was Waylon. And uh, so um, they thought, let's go visit grandma's church. So they did. They turned up. And um, grandma knew, knew, of course, what Waylon was going through. And she said, why don't you come forward and be prayed for? So she did. She went forward. She was prayed for. And a couple of people held her hands as they prayed for her. She was instantaneously healed. After she was healed, um, her mum and dad said, you know, 10 minutes later, are you sure the pain's gone? Are you sure it's gone? Said, it's completely gone. You know, a few hours later, are you sure the pain's gone, Waylon? Are you sure? Yeah, it's completely gone. A few days later, are you sure the pain's still gone? It's completely gone. Well, it impacted them. Waylon gave her heart to Jesus. She could see Jesus was active in this world. She gave her life to Jesus. Mum and dad gave her life to Jesus. And, you know, I, I really enjoyed her testimony as she came into our membership of, of the last church. Wonderful story. Um, but... I know you're probably thinking, yeah, but when Philip went into that city, it wasn't just a family that came to faith in Christ. It was many families and there were many healings. Does that really still happen today? Well, um, when I was at Bible college, uh, I had a friend called Grant McAllister and um, I, was, uh, I went to a missions Bible college and so a lot of people, after they did their Bible college thing, they would go overseas, further training, language training and stuff and do cross-cultural missions. Well, Grant felt called to China, some of the provinces of China that were largely unreached with the gospel. And so after his training, um, he arrived in China with a team. Now, he got an impression just before they were going to go into the first of the village areas. He said, I want to stop and pray. I believe God is going to open the door through power encounters. So they did. They stopped and prayed. And then as they walked into the village, they were actually approached by two ladies. And they came up to them and said, we have had an impression that strangers will come to our village and we can be healed because of them. They were not believers in Jesus, knew nothing about Jesus. And so, so, of course, the team prayed for them. The first lady, nothing happened. The second lady was instantaneously and miraculously healed. Well, the whole village was suddenly very, very open to hear about this Jesus, this God Jesus. And uh, it went from, that was the pattern from village to village, to village, to village. Grant was there for five years. They established many churches in totality that approximately 10,000 people came to faith in Christ over that five-year period.
uh, planting churches of that nature. If it's not a government-recognised church in a lot of provinces of China, it is illegal. So Grant always had to have his bags packed, ready to flee, or he'd end up in prison. And the day came, after he'd been there about five years, he had to get out of the country. But what an amazing story. But it started with power encounters and then the gospel spread. Because remember, it says here in the passage, um, when the crowds saw, uh, saw uh, when the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention. It's when they saw the miracles that opened their ears to hear the message. So point one, heal the sick. Let's look at the next passage. Uh, 8 9 it says now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria he boasted that he was someone great and all the people both high and low gave their attention and exclaimed this man is the divine power known as the great power they followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his magic but when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and in the, na- in the name of Jesus, they were baptised, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptised, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. Now, one of the things that I, I see in, here within this passage, he, um, <laughs> I remember T.D. Jakes doing a message on this passage. You remember T.D. Jakes? He's an African-American preacher, and he says something like this. Good God in heaven, good God in heaven, good God in heaven. Even the witch got saved. (laughs) About Simon. (laughs) I like TD. (laughs) Anyway, my point here is this. Another thing that uh, that, uh, Philip did was he cast out evil spirits. Number two, cast out evil spirits. And, of course, this this is a common pattern in Scripture. Now... Let me add to this. I realise some of you might be thinking, my goodness, Lee, you're going back to the dark ages. No one believes in evil spirits anymore. Well, let me just bring it to life for you. Um, for instance, I remember in my church in England, um, there was a, a full-time Misho in the church who was also an elder at the church, and uh, I get a phone call from him. And it was because he'd, he'd met a girl who was, there's three rivers that converge in Reading, um, there's the Kennant, there's the Loddon, used to catch a lot of fish in the Loddon, and the Thames. They all converge there, and this girl was standing up on a bridge, and Alan thought, she's, she's going to jump. Uh, and um, sure enough, he, he kind of talked around, and she got down off the bridge and um, accompanied him back to his place, and he and his wife talked with her, and I got the phone call. His house was only a short walk from the church, went down and had a chat with her. And she'd been having just horrible dreams, really demonic dreams, I would say. And um, I prayed for her for a bit, and then I did something like this. Because of a prompting from the Holy Spirit. Any evil spirit dominating this girl's life, I command you to leave now in Jesus' name. Get out of her life in Jesus' name. I command you to leave in Jesus' name. Leave and never return. Something like that. We continue to pray for her. Well, she started to come to church and uh, uh, Alan's wife, Margaret, she started doing one-on-one discipleship with her as a, as a new believer because she gave her life to Christ. Well, um, I chatted with her about six, seven weeks after that event at church one morning 
And I said, how's it going with the dreams? And she said, oh, since you prayed for me and did that thing about the demon, I've never had a bad dream again. It's all gone. It's all changed. It's all stopped. Now, if demons aren't real, why should that have made any difference? If deliverance ministry, as it's often preferred to, if it's not a thing, if there are no evil spirits, why would that make any difference? It wouldn't make any difference to her, would it? But the fact is it stopped from that point. Now, once again, I realise I've given a kind of an individual example. That's not what Philip did. He came into the city and he didn't just see one person set free from a demonic power. He saw a whole bunch of them. Does that still happen today? Well, let me give an example. Uh, when I was at um, Crossway, we supported, I think, about 50 missionaries. One of those missionaries was Dorinda Edwards. She had felt called to work uh, with the Mian people of Ethiopia. Now, we're going to learn in a moment that the gospel actually spreads to Ethiopia um, in the very first century, but not all the people groups got the gospel. The Mian people who live up in the mountains had never heard about Jesus. So um, Dorinda, it's only about 120,000 people live there. It's a beautiful area. So it's rainforest, about 7,000 uh, feet up. It's about the height of Mount Kosciuszko, but because it's near the equator, the, the climate's just beautiful. Very lush, green, lovely area. Well, um, Dorinda uh, felt called to reach the Mian people. There was a little work going on. About 20 of them had come to faith in Christ. There was a full-time Misho American chap there. Uh, another lady like her that had a nursing background but now had studied for reaching people with the gospel, particularly the Mian people with the gospel. So it's just a little group of three of them and about 20 Mian people had come to faith in Christ. Dorinda found straight away she felt a real love for these people. Um, unfortunately, not long after she arrived, the American missionary guy uh, went back to the States and Dorinda was devastated. She thought, oh, no, this, this mission now is going to fall over. But it didn't. One of the ugly things about their culture was the, the witch doctors who were in the various villages. So the witch doctors uh, would demand things from people. So if uh, you wanted the witch doctor to bless your house or you wanted the witch doctor to um, see uh, you healed or something of that nature, then they'd want something. If I do this, I want your bullock I do this, I want your small flock of sheep. But worse than that, they also demanded virgin daughters. Those girls would be brought to them, they would rape the girl, and then they would do a form of incantation and sacrifice them, murder them. Now, that happened regularly. And this incantation certainly gave the witch doctors demonic powers. Dorinda, of course, was heartbroken about what was going on. One day, confronting one of the witch doctors, she said, with a sense of nervousness, a tremble in her voice, she said, I command you demons, you evil spirits, come out of him, come out of him, I drive you out in the name of Jesus. And then the anointing of God came out. And she spoke with gusto and confidence and drove the demons out, several of them. Well, this witch doctor knew he was robbed of his power. And people didn't like the witch doctors. They were in fear of them. 
So he got out of there. He fled for his life because he knew his life would be in danger. Now he had no power. Well, she went from one to another to another. She drove demons out of all of the witch doctors. Well, word went out throughout around the men people. They heard there is this new God, Jesus, who has power over the evil spirits. They came in their dozens, in their hundreds, to the point where 2,000 people were coming every weekend to hear about Jesus. They didn't have any big buildings, so they'd sit on this big grassy hill on banana leaves. <laughs> and Dorinda would preach. She'd preach the word of God and she'd train that little group of this 20 or so that had come to faith in Christ originally and then they'd break up into small groups and do Bible study. They'd do Sunday service basically, including food, went all day. And um, after a time, uh, some of the people who were travelling further distances, they then planted churches in those various areas. Wonderful move of God. But how did it start? It started with power encounters. It started with driving out evil spirits. Now, I know Dorinda personally, and, uh, yeah, she's a slightly built, quietly spoken young lady. (laughs) But, you see, the, the reality is it's not about you and I, is it? It's about God working through us, the Holy Spirit working through us. Another passage, Acts 8.26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. So let's have a look at where he was going, have a look at a map here for a moment. Uh, Can you see the idea? He was up the top there in Samaria. That's where Philip had seen an extraordinary revival. Well, he gets a prompting, uh, an angel speaks to him and later we'll see a prompting from the Holy Spirit where he, he then takes that desert road. You can see the red arrow going down there, the road that goes to Gaza. So somewhere on the way to Gaza, he um, meets this Ethiopian official. Um, Give you a little bit of an idea of the distances. Uh, So Philip was sent to the desert road that goes about 95 kilometres from Jerusalem to Gaza, which is one of the most southern Philistine cities near the Mediterranean coast. The road was well used for it continued past Gaza to Egypt, so to the African continent, because this guy is, Egypt, is uh, uh, Ethiopian, so he's on his way to the African continent. He's been in Jerusalem, though, and uh, he's managed to pick up the scroll of Isaiah. Uh, to give you a more modern description of his role, he was Chancellor of the Exchequer of Candace. Candace is not so much a proper title. It's the title which all the queens of Ethiopia or that's quoting there from the commentator William Barclay. You know, I find it fascinating that um, Philip is taken from this mighty revival where it seems that at least hundreds, possibly thousands, are coming to faith in Christ in Samaria, and he suddenly, out of here now, I've got something else for you to do. This Ethiopian fellow was clearly a very high priority in God's mind. Can I suggest this? This is a point that I want to suggest. Number three, prioritise people of influence. Prioritise people of influence. Now, I know as I say that, some of you are saying, yeah, but you can't do that because everyone's the same. Yeah, I'm not saying anyone's of more value than anyone else. But the fact is there are some people, if you lead them to Christ, they will have a massive influence on other people. 
And that's exactly what the, this, this uh, Ethiopian guy did. As far as we know from uh, historic records that he actually uh, arrived in Ethiopia and the gospel was established through this man. Barclay again says there is a, there is a, there's not a lot of evidence, but there's enough to indicate that was the case. The first century of his church was established through this key guy. Can I suggest it's worth you praying? Is there anyone in your life, a friend that you know, might be a work associate, and you know that if you led them to Christ, they will have a big influence on other people? Be prayerful about that. Ask the Lord to guide you. All right, let's have a look at 8.29. The spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come and sit with him. You notice, um, as soon as the Holy Spirit speaks to Philip, he ran. He ran like, you know, it's like, you know, this guy was, had real ears to hear what God was saying and he responded immediately. Can I suggest there's another lesson here? Number four, respond immediately to God's promptings. Respond immediately to God's promptings. Of course, he responded to the angel before this in verse 26 as well. Um, I know that you're probably going to say, yeah, but Lee, that's so hard, mate. You know, I don't know whether it is it God speaking or is it my own thoughts or is it someone else's influence. It's just hard to discern that. Look, I agree, it's not, always, it's not always easy. But can I suggest this? The more you're in the Word of God, listening to it or reading it, the more you're into prayer and, and worship, the more open our ears tend to become. And it's also the willingness to respond when he does prompt you. Because if we don't, well, what's the point in him talking to you about stuff if you're just never going to respond? You know, I, I can remember a time when um, I was at the Narry Warren train station and I felt the Holy Spirit just say to me, go and sit next to that man. Just like that, go and sit next to that man. And so I did. Went over, sat next to this dude and, and I could see. I could see where the Lord had said that. He was reading a little John's Gospel and he was just reading about the crucifixion. And I knew some of our members of Narry Warren had been handing out John, John's Gospels around the train station. So sat down next to him and I, I said the same question. Do you understand what you're reading? <laughs> and he said, no, I don't. He said, would you like me to explain it to you? And he said, sure. So I shared the gospel with him. I often carry a little Bridge to Life track with me, pulled that out as well, just to further illustrate the gospel. And having carefully shared the gospel with him, using that very passage, then I just said to him, hey, would you like to invite Jesus to be a part of your life right now? He said, yes, yes, I would. So I led him in a prayer. He prayed each phrase after me, invited Jesus into his life, and then his train arrived. <laughs> but if I hadn't responded right away, it just wouldn't have happened. If I hadn't allowed God to prompt me to, to actually do what I sensed the Holy Spirit was saying, nothing would have happened. That wouldn't have been that opportunity. Have a look at 8.32. It says, The eunuch was reading this passage of Scripture. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. What did he tell him? The good news about Jesus. Well, we often use the gospel. Can I suggest this is worth making a point about? 
Number five, share the gospel. Share the gospel. Why do I say that? That's obviously, well, it's not as obvious as you might think. Uh, over the years, um, I've met a lot of uh, guys that will say they're doing friendship evangelism. Some of them genuinely are. But there's other guys I've talked with and they will, you know, um, say they're doing friendship evangelism. And I'll ask them, do you ever share your testimony? Um, or, or do you ever, like, use a Christian track and share, you know, share about Jesus through that? Or do you ever explain what the gospel is? And for some of these guys, the answer has been, oh, no, I've not had the opportunity. How long have you been catching up with these guys? Oh, I don't know, three or four years. Well, that's friendship. Nothing wrong with friendship, but it's not friendship evangelism. You're just hanging out with people. That's not the same thing. You know, I'm not saying you have to share the gospel the first time you catch up with some people, but, you know, um, surely after three or four times, if the person's open, there will be opportunity. And if the person's not open, I'd immediately raise a question about ripe fruit. Remember Jesus said in John 4, we had a look at that passage a few weeks ago, the harvest is white, you know, meaning that it's, it's ready to pick because uh, this was in Samaria too, um, different, different part of Samaria, I think. Um, but, you know, he talked about uh, how people were ready to respond. I would always say to people, don't try and pick green fruit. There's no point. If a person's not open, they're not open. Rather, I would say, God, guide me to people who are open. You've heard me say before, I think about one in four people are receptive to the gospel. Yeah. Three out of four are not. You're wasting your time. They're not, gonna, they're not interested. They're not ready. But I think one in four are. It's finding the ripe fruit. One more passage. 8.36. It says, As they travelled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptised? He gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptised him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again but went on his way rejoicing. One of the things that I see in, in the New Testament, whether it's Peter or Philip, for instance, baptism seemed to be part of the gospel package. They used to encourage baptism straight away. If someone had come, given their lives to Christ, they would encourage them to be baptised. Saw a bunch of people here baptised at the church a few weeks ago. Um, can I suggest that for yourself, you know, if you're on the journey of helping someone discover faith in Jesus, I'd say that part of your message to them is encourage them to be baptised. Encourage them to be baptised. Um, so number six, encourage baptism. Encourage baptism as part of that process. So let me um, uh, I'll give you an idea actually of where he could have been baptised. Let's have a look at a Middle Eastern stream. So it's probably something like that. Not a lot of water in that desert region they cross through, but you occasionally see a spot like that. Um, so a lagoon type of place or a river that's not that's seasonal, probably somewhere like that where the Ethiopian was baptised. You Actually, you notice from the passage too, don't you? They walked down into the water and they came up out of the water. Obviously, churches have various traditions about baptism. Some sprinkle people, some dunk people. Um, Pentecostals and Baptists and Church of Christ and Gospel chapels and so forth are in the practice of dunking people. Why? Well, simply because of passages like this. It seems that the early church did it that way. And, of course, we don't get saved in little spots. We get the whole person comes to faith in Christ, don't we? So the symbolism is powerful anyway. Let's have a look at what we've learned today. Six points. 
What do we learn from Philip and his approach to being active and sharing his faith? Number one, heal the sick. Two, cast out evil spirits. Three, prioritize people of influence. Four, respond immediately to God's promptings. Five, share the gospel. Six, encourage baptism. Um, you know that, that guy Grant that I was telling you about, Grant McAllister, who um, saw about 10,000 people come to faith in Christ in China? Um, he was uh, speaking at Crossway, one event, and I reminded him of a conversation we had when I was at Bible college. Grant, do you remember we at Bible college and we are having that conversation and you said that you didn't have any gift in the area of evangelism? And with a wry smile, he just chuckles and doesn't say anything. <laughs> but you see, that's the honest truth. Grant, when he was at Bible college, he did not think he had any gift in the area of evangelism at all. And, um, you know, the truth about Grant was, though, he's a surrendered Christian. He's committed to Christ. He's willing to do whatever the Lord says. And what I would say to people, actually whatever the gift really, but we're talking about evangelism at the moment, being effective in any ministry has more to, being more to do with being surrendered to Jesus than anything else. If you're a willing vessel, so to speak, God will use you. A lot of our trouble is we're not always very cooperative with what God wants us to do. Are we willing to surrender our lives and say, Lord, I'll, I'll put you first? I'll put you first. Um, you know, there's a lovely scripture in 1 Corinthians 14.1. It says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire Gifts of the Spirit. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit. You know, um, you're probably thinking, it's not my place to ask the Lord for a spiritual gift. Well, that scripture would actually suggest, yes, it is. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. God is wanting to build his kingdom, and yes, it takes spiritual gifts to do that. And so the last one in the series, which is next week, one of the things I'd like to do is we'll open it up at the end of the service and anyone who wants to be anointed with oil and prayed for to receive the gift of evangelism, we're going to do that. We'll finish the series like that. So if you'd like to come forward for prayer next week, we'll anoint you with oil. Let's trust that God, by his grace, would anoint you with the gift of evangelism. He may be far more willing to than what you realise. Well, I reckon it's time to have Roz come up and close in prayer. Thanks, Lee. Let's bow our heads and speak with God. Father God, thank you for the testimony of Philip and his faithfulness to you as has been revealed to us in your scriptures. Thank you for what we can learn from his actions and his way of life. Lord, as we look at the six points, very realistic points of how we can act in that way, they look daunting, but Lord, within your strength and by your grace, we can do that too. And I pray that each person here will be challenged to examine their life and to earnestly think about whether they are prepared to surrender all to God and to perhaps step forward 
and receive the gift of evangelism and the anointing of that next Sunday. Lord, go with us all this week as we step forward into the week and, and all its busyness, but not to forget what we have learnt today. And Lord, speak to us this week by the power of your Holy Spirit. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.